0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ruth.
1: Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is for with every sunrise. Single people, if you're dating someone who only wants the field and not responsibility for you, kick them to the curb. Okay, there are some people, they're only interested in the field. Do you know what I'm talking about? They don't really want you. Okay, be discerning, be wise about that. This guy here is like, oh, I, went, I, I thought it was a land transaction, I was all in. I, I got to take her, I'm, I'm not really into that. I got to marry her, I got to be committed. Oh, I don't want that, I don't want that, that's going to ruin my inheritance. No, no thank you.
0: We must be wise in our relationships. Whether family, romantic, or just friends, we must discern with the help of Jesus Christ whether those relationships are healthy. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to take a look at the relations you have with people, just as Ruth and Boaz did. You need to be attentive to God in the midst of those conversations with the people closest to you. And you need to listen to God when you are making new acquaintances and starting new relationships. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ruth, chapter 4, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: We're here in the book of Ruth. We're going to close out Ruth. We're going to look at chapter four together. So, just to catch you up real briefly on the book of Ruth, if you're jumping into our study at this point, really, this book is about a love story. It is a love story on two levels. It is a human love story between a man and a woman, between a man named Boaz and a woman named Ruth. But it is also a love story that is on a divine level, too, because This story, and you're going to see it especially here in chapter 4 as we unfold this last chapter, is a love story that is a human love story that paints a picture of the love that God has for us. If you look in your Bibles from Genesis to Revelation, you will see in every book of the Bible Jesus revealed. And that is also the case for the book of Ruth. This is a wonderful love story where you will see the love of Jesus, God's love expressed to us. And so as we tackle this uh, last chapter together, you're going to notice right here in verse one, a common uh, word, it's actually a couple of words in English, close relative, but it is one word in the Hebrew, and it is goel. We've been talking about goel because it is found 23 times in the book of Ruth, more times Proportionally than any other times in any other book of the Bible. And again, the Goel was the nearest living blood male relative because God made gracious, gracious provision in his law to take care of widows. That when a woman was childless and without a husband, uh, a husband who had died, uh, God made provision uh, in the law to take care of that widow, and it was the responsibility of the nearest, the closest blood male relative to take that widow as his wife. Now, he had the freedom to refuse, um, and there was a process by which he would express whether he wanted to marry her or whether he refused to marry her. Um, So he wasn't necessarily shamed uh, for not marrying her, but it was one of those kind of you know, cultural pressure things like, okay, this is what the law requires, you ought to do this. And, and so this is a go out. And there was an order of who was related in what particular relationship as to which one was the closest relative. And so for the first order was the brother of the deceased man. Then it was the uncle of the deceased man. Then it was the uncle's son or the cousin of the deceased man, and after that, it was any other blood relative. Well, in this story, if you've been with us up to this point, you'll remember that Boaz was this kinsman redeemer. He was this goel. He was this near relative, this this close relative, and yet he realized he wasn't the closest one. So, in the family tree, there was either um, we know there wasn't another brother. There was probably either an uncle or a cousin. And Boaz was second or third down the line. So he says to Ruth, uh, I do want to marry you. She's already made it known. She's available if he's interested. But he says to her at the end of chapter 3, there's someone closer in relationship to your deceased husband than I. And so Boaz has to clear this up. Boaz has to go to this more uh, closely related individual and ask, basically like first right of refusal. Do you want to marry her or not? Do you want to take um, possession of the land that her um, deceased husband owned or not? There were four primary responsibilities of the Goel, of the kinsman redeemer. The first was that he was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. This is Leviticus 25, 48. Um, sometimes you would sell yourself as an indentured servant if you got yourself into debt. Well, a kinsman redeemer would come along and buy you out of slavery. Number two, he was also responsible as the avenger of blood to make sure the murderer of a family member answered for his crime. So in other words, if... If uh, somebody died in the family, justice would be served because the closest relative would make certain of it. The kinsman redeemer would make sure that whoever committed the crime would suffer the punishment and receive justice for it. Number three, he was responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited, again, usually in the case of debt. And then the last one is really the focal point of our story, and especially this last chapter. He was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. Now, I put the reference up there for you, and I'm going to read it, actually, Deuteronomy chapter 25. You can turn in your Old Testaments or just listen, but the reason I'm going to read this is because this plays out in chapter 4. So I want you to hear the terms in advance so you can understand what happens, because something weird happens in chapter 4, and so you'll understand it better if I read to you out of Deuteronomy 25. So here's the background on this aspect of the responsibility of the kinsman-redeemer. So it's Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 to 10. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man, okay, this is Ruth in this example, shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife... Then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. And then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot... Spit in his face... And answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who has his sandal removed. Okay, so it was a disgraceful thing, but it wasn't an unlawful thing. You could say, I don't want to do this. You were just, you know, went through this whole uh, rigmarole. Now, what's the deal with removing the sandal? The deal behind removing the sandal is because you're basically saying, the land upon which I trod, I give up ownership of or I, I do not lay claim to so now give up your shoe to show that and so that was how the transaction was sealed so it was a little peculiar but that's the way it went down and I read that to you because you're going to see this happen short of the spitting in the face but you will see the rest of it happen here in chapter four so with that let's take a look now here at Ruth chapter four it says now Boaz went up to the gate the gate of the city there in Bethlehem and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Okay, so Boaz just positions himself there at the city gate, which was very common. The city gate was a place where the elders would typically gather. The city gate was a place where often uh, business transactions occurred, but it was also a place where it was uh, somewhat of like a courtroom. The city gate was a place where the elders would gather and settle disputes and arbitrate things. And so Boaz has strategically chosen the city gate for this particular contractual agreement where he's going to corner... The close relative, the one who is closest in relation to Ruth and to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, this guy, the close relative, is not named in the story. We don't know who he is. There's no name mentioned. We don't even know particularly the, the relationship that he had. But Boaz knows him. Boaz has already been doing his homework because he knows because he wants to marry Ruth. He's like, I can't marry you until the close relative gives up his right to marry you. And so he positions himself. Boaz does right at the city gate. He knows when the guy's coming by and the guy comes by and he goes, hey, hey, dude, hey, can I have a conversation with you? Look. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. And so he came aside and sat down and he, that's Boaz, took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down and then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land, which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am next after you. Okay. Now, this is a very tactical thing that he does here. Boaz is like, he springs it on this guy. You know, he's the, the advantage of surprise. This guy's just coming into town. And Boaz is like, excuse me, excuse me, can we have a conversation? And then, oh, by the way, elders, can you all gather here? I want you all to hear this. And so now, like this court of law is assembled. This outdoor court is assembled here. And Boaz says, hey, you know Naomi? Yeah, she kind of came back from Moab. Remember, a little bitter. She wanted to be called Mara. She's getting better. But anyway, she's a widow. She needs to be married. She owns a field. What do you say? Now, In this moment, because this guy is a little caught off guard, and Boaz just presents it as the transaction for a field, okay, because Boaz is smart, he's only going to talk about the property transaction for the moment. So he says, you know, Naomi, she's got this property, this field, I'd like to buy it, but you're the closest relative, what do you say? He answers there in verse 4, and he said, I will redeem it. Okay, now we don't know if Naomi and Ruth are like nearby listening in on this. If, you know, the whole thing is like staged where they're, they, they're eavesdropping on this. We don't know. I suspect if they were eavesdropping on this, that at that moment when this guy says, yeah, I'll redeem it. Like their heart sank because Ruth wants Boaz to marry her. But this guy, this unnamed guy has the first right of refusal. He goes, yeah, I'll redeem it. And then Boaz said, verse 5, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess. By the way, Moabitess, like she's a Gentile, you know, Moabites, right? Like he's just weaving this whole thing in. You're going to have to also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Boaz lays the whole thing out now. By the way, it's not just a field. You have to also marry Ruth because she's also a widow in the same family here. And then the close relative, the the Goel, the kinsman redeemer said, verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. What? Ruin my own inheritance? So Bible scholars believe that this guy probably had grown sons at this point. And that the property and their future inheritance had already been allotted, had already been determined. What this guy realizes is if I marry Ruth and I have children by her to perpetuate her deceased husband's name, which is what they were supposed to do, the close relative, then that's going to ruin what I already have set up with my family. Because if I have children that now have to divide my inheritance, I'm going to ruin my inheritance. Now, listen. You know what this guy wants? He wanted the field until he found out. Oh, I just want the field. I don't want the responsibility of a person. Single people, if you're dating someone who only wants the field and not responsibility for you, kick them to the curb. Okay? There are some people, they're only interested in the field. Do you know what I'm talking about? They don't really want you. Okay, be discerning. Be wise about that. This guy here's like, oh, but I, I thought it was a land transaction. I was all in. I, I got to take her. I'm, I'm not really into that. I got to marry her. I got to be committed. Oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. That's going to ruin my inheritance. No, no, thank you. I cannot redeem it. Wow. This, is a, this whole thing is unfolding just like Boaz had hoped. He gets the guy off guard, gets the elders. Puts the guy on the spot, Naomi, come on, you're going to be the, the kinsman redeemer or not? It's like, yeah, I, I like the field. Okay, you got to get the daughter-in-law too. I'm not sure I want all that. So this whole thing is like unfolding exactly what Boaz, the way Boaz wants, verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal. This is what we just read in Deuteronomy 25. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. And therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. He takes off his sandal. He gives it to Boaz. He knows the way the law is written. It's Deuteronomy 25. It's what I just read. He gives up his right to that field, to that land. And he gives the sandal to Boaz and he says, You buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. Verse 9, And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. So, one of the wise things that Boaz did was by having the elders there was that this was publicly witnessed. This was publicly witnessed so that the guy later couldn't change his mind. And so, Look, you know, some people, when it comes to, like, marriage, you know, they they have this kind of wild idea, like, you know, why do we need a piece of paper? Let's just, you know, run off into the woods and, you know, stand under a shade tree and exchange our own vows. And nobody needs to be around because, after all, God is watching and that's all we need. And so, like, they just kind of perform their own little you know, ceremony. It's like, wait, wait a minute. There actually is a reason why you should have witnesses for this day. This is a day you stand before God. This is, this is a moment when, you know, you want witnesses to, to be there. And so he's, he's wanting this marriage that he's about to have here with, uh, with Ruth to be publicly witnessed. And he doesn't want this guy to go back on the deal. So he's smart about this. Now, the people are standing around there, verse 11, and all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. We are witnesses. The Lord, this is the, this is the people speaking, the Lord make the woman who was coming to your house, Ruth, like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. Now, Rachel and Leah were basically the, the matriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, they were the two wives of Jacob. The 12 uh, children of, of Israel descended from Jacob and um, Rachel and Leah uh, gave birth to a majority of, of those 12 tribes. And so these people are like, we want your new house with Ruth to be blessed and prosperous, just like Rachel and Leah. And may you prosper in Ephrathah, which is kind of like the territory where Bethlehem was situated, and be famous in Bethlehem, And may your house, verse 12, be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Um, the story of Perez we won't get into. It's recorded in the book of Genesis. It's kind of an odd um, statement here, to be honest with you, because Tamar... Um, The mother of Perez, she dressed up and pretended to be a prostitute in order to seduce her father-in-law, Judah, and she got pregnant by him. So it's kind of a convoluted story. But the reason why it's probably mentioned here that uh, they hope that his family will be like the house of Perez is because when you look in uh, 1 Chronicles 2, it tells us that the genealogy of Perez and his descendants ended up that Perez was the ancestor of the people of Bethlehem. The Bethlehemites. And um, the genealogical record, if you jump down to ver- the very end of this chapter, look at verse 18 it kind of gives it. It says, now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. So Perez in the day was kind of seen as the the, uh, patriarchal ancestor of Bethlehem. So they pronounce blessing on Boaz and Ruth and like, may God make you prosperous and fruitful and give you lots of kids and God bless you. This is what they're doing publicly. So now look, verse, verse 13. And so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, now this is, remember Ruth's mother-in-law from her deceased husband. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom And became a nurse to him. Now, that verse does not mean that she literally nursed uh, the baby born to uh, Obed, born to uh, Ruth and Boaz. You know, she's elderly at this point. Um, The Hebrew word there is aman, it means to support, uphold, or nourish. It is never used in the scriptures for breastfeeding. Um, and, but what it is a statement of is she became like a nurse. Just think of it like, like a, you know, a, I mean, she's, she is the child's grandmother, so to speak, through Ruth. But as like a nanny grandmother who's just loving this child and caring for this child and helping to tend to him. And so that's what that verse means. It doesn't mean anything, you know, unusual. Okay, verse 17. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name. This is kind of interesting. You know, the townspeople named the kid, you know, just like we'd like to name him ourselves. Well, they, they, they named this kid for them and they called his name Obed, Obed in Hebrew means servant of God or worshiper. So it's an appropriate name, but notice he is the father of Jesse, the father of David in the last few minutes, I just want to tie all this together. And I first want to put this little genealogical uh, chain. We can see what is unfolding here. Ruth and Boaz marry. They have a son named Obed. Obed gets married, has a son named Jesse. Jesse gets married, has a son named David. Okay? The genealogical record here is given for us so we can appreciate this story on multiple levels. Ruth... Is the great grandmother of King David. Now, what is even more powerful about all this is that 27 generations later, Jesus Christ is born from this very line. Oh!
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Although the following words may be familiar to you, it packs a powerful punch of loyalty in a time of great famine and war. Listen to these words from Ruth 116 as she is pledging to not leave her mother-in-law, Naomi. "Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And in verse 17, Ruth says, Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now that's commitment right there, with a whole lot of love mixed in. Ruth decided to stay and provide for Naomi. Did you know Jesus is the same with us? He's committed to you to love and care for you. If you have questions about today's study, you can let us know at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Again, that's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Cornerstone Connection is a radio ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to learn more about us. That's it for today. Join us again on Cornerstone Connection.
1: They